Church podcast. New City is a church in Bath, Maine that exists to make disciples, develop leaders, and plant churches that multiply. This week, Pastor John Andrade is preaching through Daniel chapter 5, verses 13 through 31, and the sermon title is God's Hand of Blessing and God's Hand of Judgment. We hope you are blessed by the message today. Um, I've been very blessed in my study for this, um, and I just pray that the Holy Spirit imparts this, whatever he wants to say to your hearts uh, today. So let's just pray to that end. Father, we praise you. Um, God, we give you glory. We thank you for your word. Lord, your word is true. And we say amen together um, that your word is true. The world wants to always assault your word. Um, The devil always wants to sow lies, um, confusion. But we cling to your word as a people together, and we sit under the teaching of your word. We're so grateful for it. I pray for myself as I speak your words. Lord, who am I? Um, But I pray that you would be the teacher here this morning, um, that by your Holy Spirit, you would impart your very word into the hearts of your people. God, that you'd convict of sin, that you'd minister to brokenness and hurt. Father, that you would... um, Remind us all of the joy that we have as your people, that we have you, Christ is ours, as we sang, forever, forever. Um, So God, may we be a people that rejoice in you this morning, um, and that your word would just shower us with your blessings, Father. We love you. Um, Give glory to your name, and we pray by your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Right, so I titled this sermon... um, and I usually title a sermon, um, I think we always do, but we don't always highlight the title of the sermon, but for the sake of, I think it'll be helpful this morning to gather our thoughts, to collect what this passage will be conveying to us. Um, I'll just kind of highlight the title of the sermon, and it's God's, hands of, God's Hand of Blessing and God's Hand of Judgment. God's Hand of Blessing and God's Hand of Judgment is the title of the sermon. And again, as we walk through this, we're going to see a whole lot of things that come, from, come forth from the hand of God, um, both blessings and judgments. We as Christians, we hold to what the Scripture tells us, that there is one God and there is only one God. There is not multiple gods. There is one God. And from this same God comes forth blessings and also judgments. We don't hold to any form of dualism. Um, We hold to one God. And some people are very shocked to hear that this God of infinite love, the God who the scriptures say is love, become very shocked to hear that there's a God who executes judgment, a God who hates sin, a God who holds accountable and judges the world. Some people are very shocked to find that and want to resist that. On the other hand, some people are very much into the judgments of God, but are unaware of the great and unimaginable love that this same God has. He is the God who exercises judgment, and he also administers great grace. And so we're going to see this God on display, doing both in this uh, text that we're going to be looking at. The God who gives blessings and the God who gives judgment. So we're going to just recap because we picked up, if you didn't notice, right in the middle of chapter 5, starting in verse 13, down to the end of the chapter. And so just to recap, so it's not weird that we're picking up right in the middle. Um, Beginning of chapter 5, we hear of a king named Belshazzar. And King Belshazzar is having a big flood of dissipation, a wicked party, as you might call it. Thousands, thousands of his lords are there. He has his wives 
plural, also concubines. Um, and this is a, a place that you don't want to be, but a place that maybe some of us have maybe experienced to some degree in our past, living in our life of sin. This was a, a wicked party. Um, and not in the way that Mainers would say it. This is a bad place to be, that you do not want to be here as a Christian. This is an abomination to us. And what goes on further is that in the drunkenness of the party, as Joel preached last week, time of profanity, they say in their uh, drunkenness, let's bring out the golden vessels from the temple. These vessels were in the temple of God, and let's fill them with wine and then drink from them. And sometimes you guys have noticed that maybe in your own lives that you've experienced times when in drunkenness in your past that you're quick to all of a sudden be emboldened to profane the holy things of God, something that you might have a restraint on you in the moment. But when you're filled with drunkenness, you say, I can do that. Take the holy God's name in vain. When I might have some sort of restraint to not do that, all restraint was removed from this wicked, evil party that they were having. All of a sudden, God interrupts their sin, and a hand writes on the wall. A wall of plaster, a hand comes forth and begins writing something that we don't know yet what it's saying. And the king sees it and he's struck to his heart. He's filled with fear and trembling. He wants to know what it says. All of his magicians, diviners, astrologers, they come to try to explain what it means. They have no idea what it means. A queen comes in and the queen says, there is a man that you can ask. And his name is Daniel. And that leads us up to where we are right now in the beginning of the passage. <clears throat> and before we begin, we're going to start as we have just read in verse 13. But I want to point out something that I thought was pretty cool in the studies um, as I prepared for this. Uh, this is a really cool thing because there was a time and a season. And the Bible is always under attacks in different ages and different times. But in the 1800s, there was a time when they had a very, what seemed like a knockdown, drag out argument against the Bible. They would say the Bible is not accurate. The book of Daniel in particular is not accurate. From everything that we know historically, everything that we know through by means of archaeology, there is no such thing as a king named Belshazzar. He's made up. He's not a real person. This is an error in the Bible. The Neo-Babylonian Empire started with Nebuchadnezzar, then went to Nabonidus, and then the Medes and the Persians came in and took him out. There's no king Belshazzar. Felt like they had a good attack against the book of Daniel. A big error in the book of Daniel, and therefore there's probably more errors in the Bible. Can't really be trusted. Unbelieving historians, unbelieving archaeologists. Really pointing a finger at the Bible and trying to discredit its merits. Within just a few years, if you look this up, and we're going to have a thing on the screen here. Something was discovered by means of archaeology. The Nabonidus Cylinder. If you're taking notes, look it up on your own um, in about the 1850s. Just after this wave of attacks against the Bible, God reveals and vindicates his word by means of archaeology, the Nabonidus Cylinder. And guess whose name is on it? Belshazzar's. King Belshazzar, Nabonidus, um, writes about his son praying to all the false gods, the host of heavens, praying for his son, Belshazzar. The Bible is vindicated yet again. <clears throat> we as Christians, we didn't need that vindication. We already knew. Believers at that time, they said, yeah, it just takes a little bit for archaeology and sometimes science to catch up. The Bible is always accurate. We as the people of God hold the word of God as true, regardless of really what the whole scientific, archaeological community wants to say. We look at the Word of God as true always, and sometimes it just think, needs things to catch up. But this is one of those times that I think as we as Christians can look at this and say, wow, okay, praise God. The Word does hold true, even if the world's always trying to disc 
discredit it. God has a way of vindicating his word. So praise the Lord for that. I thought that was pretty cool. <clears throat> so we're going to begin in verse 13. And as I mentioned the title of the sermon, we're going to be looking at things that are from the hand of God. <clears throat> and so in this few verses that we'll read as, as we kind of work our way through this, the first thing I want you to notice is that God often, frequently, places godly men in positions to influence world leaders. First thing I want to just talk about, and we'll highlight it, God often places godly men in positions to influence world leaders. People have great influence in the world. God puts godly people in their path to instruct them and guide them. And so take note of this in verses 13 as we go down to verse 16. It says this, Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel who was one of the exiles from Judah, who my father, the king, brought from Judah? Now I have heard about you that the spirit of the gods is in you. And that illumination, insight, and extraordinary wisdom have been found in you. Just now the wise men, the conjurers, were brought in before me that they might read this inscription and make its interpretation known to me but the, uh, about the message. But I personally have heard about you that you are able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems. Now if you are able to read the inscription and make its interpretation known to me, you will be clothed with purple and a necklace of gold around your neck, and you will have authority as the third in the kingdom. So Daniel, um, as we see frequently in the book of Daniel, he's brought before a man of great influence. Um, not many of you, I'm sure, or maybe have even met somebody that has a thousand lords who you can draw in and say, hey, let's have a big party. This is somebody with enough power and authority and grandeur that he can say, hey, we're going to have a party and a thousand of my lords I want to have in here as well. This is somebody with a great influence, great power, great authority. And Daniel is brought before him. Um, and this is really cool because you see this a lot in the book of Daniel. We see this a lot all through scripture where men of God are brought before people of great influence, world leaders, to be able to uphold the truth of God before them. Right before world leaders, world rulers, people of great influence, God has stationed somebody or a group of people to be able to lift high again the truth of God before these people. And oftentimes, this counsel might lead to a change in thinking and in a change of mindset for these world leaders by the grace of God, by putting up godly men, man or a group of men or a group of Christians in their midst. Um, and so this isn't confined just to the book of Daniel, but we see this a lot in the book of Daniel. We've already seen that with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had a great opportunity opportunity to be a magnificent testimony before King Nebuchadnezzar. Now we see this in Daniel again. Daniel brought before King Belshazzar, but I want to look at a couple other places because again, this is not confined only to the book of Daniel. We see this all through scripture, all through scripture, godly men in positions where they can influence world leaders. If you look with me at the book of Acts, um, Acts chapter 26, and I think it's verse 28. And 29 that we're going to look at. The Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is brought before King Agrippa and he has an opportunity to give his testimony. And he has an opportunity to give his life before Christ, when Christ met him, and then after Christ, how Christ has brought an enormous change in his life. 
And he tells his testimony before King Agrippa. And listen to what King Agrippa's response is to Paul. A godly man who was brought before a man of great influence and authority. Agrippa says this, verse 28. Agrippa replied to Paul, in a short time you will persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would wish to God that whether in a short or long time, not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Paul, arrested, brought before a mighty king, has an opportunity to speak so strongly and so clearly and communicate the truth of God before King Agrippa, that King Agrippa's like, bro, you're, I'm, you make me almost want to become a Christian. And Paul says, I only wish... I wish you were exactly like me, except for these chains that are on my wrist right now. I'm being brought before you and before soon to Caesar. Um, and soon Paul would end his, have his life ended in 70 AD, 67 AD, had his head chopped off. But he says, I wish you were exactly like me. Minus these chains, Agrippa, I wish that you were like me. Not because I'm anything special, but because I know the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to know him too. And so Paul has an amazing opportunity to influence a world leader. Um, just look at uh, Mark chapter 6 with me. This is John the Baptist. John the Baptist in Mark chapter 6. He is before King Herod. And we'll look at verses 17 through 20. For Herod himself had sent and had John arrested and bound in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death and could not do so. For Herodias was afraid of John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. And when he heard him, he was very perplexed, but he used to enjoy listening to him. This is very interesting because Herod doesn't really get a whole lot of good reputation in the Bible. This particular Herod is a, not, a, not a very godly man, ends up being somewhat instrumental in the death of Jesus Christ our Lord even as well. But it's interesting because he sees John the Baptist, a godly man who God has stationed before him to speak the truth of God, even call out his sin and say, you are married to your brother's wife? And it made the king angry. It made his brother's wife that he married angry as well and it also led to the death of John the Baptist but in the midst of it all Herod even felt compelled to keep John the Baptist safe and it even says he enjoyed listening to him maybe he went down into the cell every now and then and just sat and asked John the Baptist some questions God had stationed a godly man before this particular world leader at the time or a man of great influence and so just time would really fail me but I just want to list off a few names before King Saul God had placed Samuel. Before King Ahab, God had put Elijah. Before King David, God had put the prophet Nathan. Before Pharaoh, God had put Moses. Before another Pharaoh, God had put Joseph. Before King Zedekiah, God had put the prophet Jeremiah. Before Artaxerxes, God had placed Nehemiah. And even before the governor, Pontius Pilate, God himself came. The Son of God, the eternal Jesus Christ, came and was before Pilate. And Pilate says, what is truth? Unknowing that truth was directly in front of him. A godly person placed before world leaders and people of world influence. And so, in God's hands of blessing, this is what happens. And I just want to ask, and I'm in a room full of people. I don't know, I don't know what God will do. 
how long he tarries, what he's going to do with some of you, but there might be a time when maybe some people in this room will be before people of mighty influence. And I pray that you would speak as you ought, that you would speak as you ought, that you would uphold the word of God, that you would manifest the glory of God before people, and I pray that you would do that if you ever have the opportunity to speak before men of great influence, that you would speak well, and that you would speak well. Um, but all of this in mind as well, I hope that, and I've been in my preparations realizing I've got to pray for these people who are alive right now. Right now, maybe next to some administration of great authority and great power in our nation or somewhere else, or maybe even in front of entertainers, people of great influence who our kids look up to, musicians, actors, actresses, that there are hopefully godly people that God has placed in their midst that we can pray for and say, God, would you speak through them? Would they not shrink back? Would they speak the truth of God? Because nobody will listen to them, but if they can influence this person here, imagine the gospel going forth from them. Imagine what could change in the world if this person got saved. And we're commanded to do this, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. One of the commands of how we should pray includes praying for our leaders, praying for our kings, praying for our rulers. Pray for them. Pray for their salvation. Pray for them, Christian. Next blessing from the hand of God that I want us to see um, is that God, and I really like this one, <clears throat> God reveals mysteries to his people. God reveals mysteries to his people. And we see that for sure in the book of Daniel. This is a huge theme in the book of Daniel. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have mysteries revealed to them um, that are unknown. That unless the hand of God had given them this great privilege, they would not have been able to do that. And so they are able to reveal things that were hidden. Things that were otherwise mysterious. That these people had the opportunity to not only reveal these things, but also to hold them up before many people. And so here in this chapter, Daniel has an amazing opportunity. Again, before a king, before his wives, before many concubines, even before many failed conjurers and magicians and diviners who could not read the inscription. A room filled with people. I mean, this might have been 1,500 people. Daniel is brought in and ushered in very quickly to reveal the mystery that none of the people in the room had known. And I can imagine, as you're standing before these people, and Daniel maybe begins looking at the writing on the wall, understanding what it is, you might have this opportunity or te temptation to shrink back because you're like, this isn't a good message for the king. I can't come in here and say... Victory for King Belshazzar, the Medes and the Persians who are attacking, they're going to get driven away and I can just kind of get carried away uh, in victory because I've given a wonderful message that everybody wants to hear. His message as he looks at that wall is, this is not good. And a potential temptation to shrink back might have come into him. But he stands firm and he upholds the truth and God reveals mysteries to him. Um, look at how... Uh, Daniel is described in verse 14, um, and even verse 16 as well, um, according to Belshazzar. This is Belshazzar's understanding of Daniel. Um, oops, I didn't go to the right chapter. <clears throat> chapter 5, verse 14, and we'll also look at 16. This is Belshazzar's description of Daniel. It says, Now I have heard about you, that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that illumination, insight, and extraordinary wisdom have been found in you. 
Verse 16, but I personally have heard about you, that you were able to give interpretations and solve this difficult problems. Now, if you're able to read the inscription and making this interpretation known to me, you'll be clothed with purple. This Daniel had a reputation of being a person that was in the presence of something greater. Belshazzar's understanding of Daniel was definitely skewed, and we'll talk about that, but Daniel had the reputation of being somebody who could reveal mysteries, who knew things that were true, that were beyond what everybody else had the capacity to be able to understand. That Daniel is a man who can reveal things, who speaks straight, who speaks truth, who speaks directly. Now, it's interesting, the description of Belshazzar, he gives of him, he says, we know that the Holy Spirit of God is in you. No, he doesn't say that. He says, the spirit of the gods, the pantheon, the, the host of heaven, we know that the spirit of the gods is in you. And so right away, he's already mistaken. He still understands something different about Daniel, but he says, the spirit of the gods is in you. Now, surely Belshazzar, a king who we know historically, and even in the text here, he worships a host of false gods. He might be thinking, those gods who I worshipped, who I did my idolatry to, the pagan gods that I served, hopefully they're going to give Daniel some instruction and give me some good news and maybe pay me back for all of the worship I've done to these false gods. He's greatly mistaken because this is not the pantheon of false gods that are giving Daniel instruction, but instead this is the Holy Spirit of God, God himself giving Daniel revelation. And it is this Holy Spirit who is about to bring down judgment upon Belshazzar for his idolatry. And I wrote it down, tried to put it as concisely as I could, but I said, the man who was using the one true God, his holy vessels for idolatry to false gods, is soon going to learn that his false gods cannot protect him from the one true God. And I think this can apply to us as well. Maybe none of us are in positions like Belshazzar, never will be, but... We all have temptations to have these false gods that we think will protect us, keep us safe, keep us insulated. But really, God is a God whose eyes are a flame of fire. He cuts through everything. Nothing is hidden from his sight. And he is a God who sees all things. And we can sometimes be like Belshazzar and have our false idols give us a sense of security when we know and we're suppressing the understanding that there is only one God and this is the one true God and the Son Jesus Christ and there is only one way to Him and we want to hide behind our idols. God sees through all of the idols and He will judge all idolatry. He will judge all sin. And Daniel is now given the opportunity to reveal God's mysteries and hold it up before these rulers. Now you might say, that's Daniel. Well, not me though. Daniel has these opportunities, but not me. I just want to show you something that's really cool in Ephesians chapter 3. Um, we'll get back to Daniel. I'll even mark so I can find it easier later. But Ephesians chapter 3. Look with me at verses 8 through 11. This is the Apostle Paul speaking, and he says, To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ, and to bring to light what is the administration of, underline it, the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might be now made known through, underline it, the church, 
To who? To the rulers and the authorities in the heavenlies. Now, we as the church, we are granted a revelation of a greater mystery than Daniel was ever revealed. Daniel was revealed mysteries, but we're revealed the gospel. We're revealed the glories of God that men can be saved and made right with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, that it can be Christ in us, that it is no longer Jew or Greek, that mysteries of God have been revealed, that all who come to the Lord Jesus Christ are saved and we are brought together as one. There is no distinction, but instead we are one in Christ. And this is a great mystery. This is a glorious mystery. This is the mystery that is repeated in the New Testament. If you look up the word mystery and look up all the times the word mystery is used, it's a thing that was once hidden. Now it's revealed in the church. And it is the church's obligation and wonderful joy and duty and privilege to be able to lift up. And it says lift up before rulers and authorities in the heavenlies. Daniel had lower level mysteries revealed to him, beautiful nonetheless, but he held them up before kings and rulers on this world. We have an opportunity to hold up these glorious mysteries before those in the heavenlies, before the rulers and authorities there. And so, Joel preached on this last week, but I just want to just reiterate it because his bears repeating that Belshazzar, he looked to the conjurers, he looked to the uh, magicians, he looked to all of these people for an understanding, and they were unable to give it to him. And Daniel came in and revealed the truth of God. We have a world that does the same thing. A world who looks to all sorts of things. And you could easily make your own list. But we have a world that is so deceived. A world that looks to things like drugs. Things like pornography. Things like sexual identity. Things like calling everybody who disagrees with them racist. Things like education and philosophy, all sorts of wickedness are all the things that the world consumes and they look to these things for answers. Just like Belshazzar was looking for answers and he brought in all these false people to come in and they could not help him at all. Daniel came in and spoke the truth. I ask you, church, that as we are the people of God who the world is pursuing all sorts of things, would we be the people that would come in and speak the truth? Speak the truth to these people that so desperately need it. That so desperately need the truth that would cut through the lies that they have been consuming and consuming. Looking to this person and this person, this group and this group for answers. We have the mysteries of God in our hands that we have been revealed. And may we speak them forth strongly and boldly and without apology. So... Two things we've covered so far. God often places godly men in positions to influence world leaders. God reveals mysteries to his people. Um, next we're going to look at God exalts and God humbles. Um, God raises up rulers and kingdoms as he sees fit. And you hear preached a lot. New City Church, God is sovereign. It can become like a, uh, an afterthought at this point because we talk about it so much. But God raises up kingdoms and rulers really as he sees fit and tears them down as he sees fit. He brings them up and brings them to an end. All in his appointed times, all according to his power and purposes. This is the God who we learn about in Scripture. But look at verses 17 through 22 back in Daniel 5 with me. It says this, Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Keep your gifts... For yourself, or give your rewards to someone else. And just for, I won't even preach that, but I'm just going to highlight it. 
and say, I really like that. Keep your gifts, keep your rewards to someone else. I'm still going to speak the word to you. I'm not here for the rewards. I'll get out of the way so the Holy Spirit can do whatever he wants with that. <clears throat> verse 18, or second half of verse 17. I will read the inscription to the king and make the interpretation known to him. O king, the most high, God granted sovereignty, grandeur, and majesty to Nebuchadnezzar, your father. Because of the grandeur with which he bestowed on him, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language feared and trembled before him. Whomever he wished, he killed. And whomever he wished, he spared alive. And whoever he wished, he elevated. And whoever he wished, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit came, became so proud that he became, behaved, <laughs> behaved arrogantly, he was deposed from his royal throne. And his glory was taken away from him. He was also driven away from mankind, and his heart was made like that of the beasts. And his dwelling place was with the wild donkeys. He was given grass to eat like cattle. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he recognized that the Most High God is ruler over all the realm of mankind, and that he sets over it whomever he wishes. Yet you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all of this. As Daniel is brought before Belshazzar and before all the wives and the concubines and the lords and even the queen there, he has a hard word for him. And in that, though, part of what he speaks to this king is he highlights the sovereignty of God. He, he highlights the fact that God raised Nebuchadnezzar up and at the right time, when God saw fit, because of his pride and his arrogance, he knocked him down. Look at the verbs here described of God and his activity in raising up and bringing down Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 18, the most high God granted sovereignty and grandeur. Verse 19, because of the grandeur which he bestowed on him, God bestowed this on him so that everybody feared him. He did as he pleased. But then when he became proud and arrogant, verse 20, God deposed him from his royal throne. His glory was taken away from him. He was driven away from mankind. His heart was made like that of the beasts. And his dwelling place was the wild donkeys, and he was given grass to eat like cattle. This is all verbs, actions of God, who is the one who raises up and the one who tears down, the God who is sovereignly in control always, not just of our small lives, but I hope that we recognize that in this time that God is sovereign regardless of what you are going through, regardless of what you've been through, what joys, what hardships, what aches, what pains. God is in it and he knows it and he's, in, he's sovereign over it all. And I pray that in some way that the Holy Spirit would give you comfort in that, that God is in that with you. But far beyond even our, our lives, that God is sovereign even over nations and kingdoms, things that are so far beyond us, so high above us. God is over it all. Amen, church? He's over it all. He's over it all. Um, and so Daniel recounts this to Nebuchadnezzar, but also Daniel, I really like how he highlights that God in his grace toward, Nebuchadnezzar, or toward Belshazzar allows Nebuchadnezzar to be an example for Belshazzar to learn from. 
He didn't just act quickly. He gave Belshazzar time to learn from somebody's mistakes. And if he would not walk in them, things might have been different for Belshazzar. But he walked in the mistakes of his father. And so Belshazzar knew better. And it even says that in the text. Verse 22, imagine Daniel before thousands of people saying to the king, you knew better. Verse 22, you knew all of this. You knew it, but you walked in the same pattern as your father walked anyways. I ask you, have you ever followed the mistakes of others? And you look back and you say, man, I should have known better. God had placed in his grace an example before me, but I just stumbled right in the same path that they followed and did the exact same thing that they did, and I should have known better. I should have known better. I saw their life, their handwriting on the wall. What would be the result if I followed them? But you say, that won't happen to me. I could probably get around it. I know that they did, but I could, it probably isn't going to happen to me. Following the pattern that they walked in, here's the result, but it probably won't happen to me. I have teens, so I can say this and get away with it because you know my heart. I love teens, but teenagers often do this. I did it. I was a teen once. It's not going to happen to me. It's not going to happen to me. My mom would say that all the time. Run across the street, chase a ball into the street. People get hit by a car, you know, going just running into the street without looking. That's not going to happen to me, Mom. I'm, I'm invincible. I'm fine. Um, a practical example, when I cook, and I don't cook anymore, for Citigroup at least. But I said, Danielle, I got this. Take a time off. It's fine. And I know in my head people who just wing the recipes and just feel like they got it and just go for it. The food comes out really, really bad. I'm like, Danielle, I got it. Take a break, relax, rest. I know, though, that this doesn't work out for a lot of people, but I say it's not going to happen to me. I'm going to get it right. I'm going to put all the right ingredients. I'm not going to really measure stuff. I'm just going to put, you know, eyeball it. I still have the taste in my mouth. It was so disgusting, and I never cook for Citigroup again. Danielle has it um, and does an amazing job, but I know better, but I, and that's just a, a kind of an earthly example, but, I mean, people follow the patterns, and we look from the outside and we say, God, what are they doing? People following gang violence. People see their fathers in prison. They see their grandfather shot to death because of their gang activity. And these kids say, I want to be just like that. And we're like, what are you doing? But they say, I'm not going to get caught. I'm not going to end up in prison. I'm not going to get shot. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to handle myself well. I'm going to be around right, with the right people. And we look and we say, that's the path before you that you're walking toward is off of a cliff. What are you thinking? But there is something in us that allows us to be deceived. We see the writing on the wall, but we don't make corrections. And so I want to say to you today that rather than repeating the sins of your parents, maybe some of you even now today are in this room right now still repeating the sins of your parents, repeating the sins that you know you should not walk in, and I want to tell you that in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray that you have victory over that, that you turn from that, that you remove your feet from the paths of those who have walked before you off of the cliff, that you would not be deceived with sexual immorality, with lies, with pornography, with whatever it is. You fill in the blank, really, but I just pray that in Jesus' name that could be broken that you could break that pattern, that you don't have to continue to carry on the pattern of death and destruction and bondage, that in Jesus' name that you can break a, a new path, 
a new path for your children and your children's children and set forth before you a path that is, can be followed by people who are walking in your steps now. That we follow our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I pray for patterns to be broken. I do. I pray for patterns to be broken. But going back to the text, Belshazzar did not learn from his father's great heir. And in pride and arrogance against God, just like his father and really his grandfather, but the text says father. Joel covered that last week if you want to talk about that. Um, But look with me at verse 20 and in verse 22. Speaking of Nebuchadnezzar, when his heart was lifted up and his spirit became so proud that he became, behaved arrogantly, he was deposed from his royal throne. And now jump down to verse 22. He says to Belshazzar, Yet you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all of this. This is a hard word for Belshazzar. You have seen your father, Nebuchadnezzar, do the exact same thing, filled with pride and arrogance in his heart, and now you're just repeating it. You're doing the exact same thing. And maybe, maybe there's some here, maybe there's some online, maybe there's some, I don't know. But I just pray that we would be a people that humble ourselves before the Lord, that we would, we, sometimes we just know better. And we just stay in our sin. And that's why I think one of the reasons we take communion, God has instituted that in the people of God, a time for us to examine ourselves so that we don't grow hard and continue in sin. But some of you might even right now just need to hear the word of God say to you, just like Belshazzar, Daniel said to Belshazzar, you knew better. You know better. Come out of this. You know better. God has put this before your very face. He has not hidden it from you. It's revealed. You know better. Stop. And I just pray that we would hear that, that we would humble ourselves before God and we would not raise ourselves up and become prideful and arrogant. Um, Look with me at, this is beautiful, James chapter 4, I'm sorry, yeah, 4 verses 5 through 6. It's cool that we sang about this just a little bit ago, very first song. Or do you not know that the scripture speaks to no purpose? Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. He's jealous for us. He's jealous for us. I love that. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That you, saints, that you, person, whoever you are, wherever you are in life, if you would come before God in humility, that he would receive you, I know the devil will lie to us and say, I have done this, and he will remind you of your sin and say, you cannot really approach God unless you maybe clean yourself up first or something. God says, come to me in humility. If you humble yourself before me, there is grace that you can draw near to God Almighty and his arms are open wide because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for our sins. He has laid his life down for us. His sacrifice is of great value, infinite value. And so regardless of what you have done, if you would humble yourself before him and come to him, be received and welcomed before the presence of God, but turn from sin. And humble yourself before him. And it says, he who humbles himself will be exalted. But he who exalts himself will be humbled. This is the God with whom we have to do. But he's a great and glorious God. And I just urge and compel anybody who's staying in their sin, come out of it. Turn from it. 
and find grace with the Lord Jesus Christ today. There's salvation to be had in his name. There's nobody like him. Um, Next thing, from God's hand. Remember, God's hand of blessing, God's hand of judgment. Um, The next thing that we'll look at from God's hand, the same hand with all of these blessings is that God also judges sin. Uh, Look with me at chapter, Daniel chapter 5, starting in verse 22. Again, Daniel says, Yet you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all this. But you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of this house, of his house, before you. And you and your nobles and your wives and your concubines have been drinking wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which you do not, which do not see, hear, or understand. But the God in whose hand are your life, breath, and all your ways, you have not glorified. Then the hand was sent from him, and this inscription was written out. Now this is the inscription that was written out. Mene, Mene, Tekel, Aparson. This is the interpretation of the message. Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and put an end to it. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found deficient. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given over to the Medes and the Persians. We see here in the tail end of this incredible passage of Scripture, God bringing an end to the sin and judgment upon this man. God judges sin. It's a fearful thing, but it's also a glorious thing. And I just want to insert this real fast here. That is, praise God that he is so holy that he hates sin and he will judge sin. That he doesn't just sweep it under the rug. He doesn't wink at it. And he's not going to let it go on forever and ever and ever. There will come a day when he judges it finally. And all sin and sinners will be destroyed in the very wrath of God. Those who have not received the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I praise God that he is a God of judgment. That he is a God who hates sin. That he is a God who hates sin enough to actually judge it. But my judgment has fallen upon Jesus Christ. He has taken my judgment for me. And praise God for that. I am no better than any man. But Jesus Christ has taken my judgment upon himself. But for those who have not fallen under the cover of Jesus Christ to be hidden from the wrath of God, theirs will be the wrath of God. But Belshazzar's sin of pride against God, idolatry and serving false gods, and using God's holy vessels for profane purposes... God's judgment finally came. But I do want you to notice, though, in this, even the grace of God toward Belshazzar. Look at verse 23 and 24. Um, We'll just start in the very tail end of verse 23. But the God in whose hand, if you circle that in your Bible, are the life breath and your ways you have not glorified. Now verse 24, then the hand. Circle that again. The hand was sent from him, and and this inscription was written out. The very same God who was holding Belshazzar's life breath and all of his ways in all of his life, keeping breath in Belshazzar's lungs, feeding him, nourishing him, giving him things to enjoy, giving him time to repent, giving him an example of his father, Nebuchadnezzar, as an example saying, don't walk in that path. The same God who was giving all these blessings to Belshazzar is the same hand that is now writing on the wall his judgment. 
And this is a fearful thing because there are many people right now who are taking for granted the very grace of God and trampling all over it, using it, absorbing it, taking it in, but rejecting him. And it will be a day when that very same hand that has been so gracious and kind to so many people will one day turn to their judgment. But God is patient. He's slow to anger. He's not quick with his judgment. He is quick with grace. He is quick with his grace, slow to anger. Abounding in loving kindnesses, our God. And so if he is giving you in this time maybe space to repent, I pray that you not wait, but that you act quickly. Because God is slow to anger, but some people will count that slowness as a reason to count God as slack. I just want to look at two quick passages, and I'll try not to say very much on them. But uh, Romans chapter 2. Just read verses 4 and 5 on that note, taking God's patience and abusing it. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. God is patient. Some take his patience that is meant to draw to repentance and instead store up wrath. Second Peter chapter 3, just one more quick one on this. 3 through 9. Know this first of all, that in the, day, in the last days mockers will come with their mockings following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? God's taking a long time. He's not going to come back. Uh, I'm not really worried about his judgment. That was my insertion. For since the fathers fell asleep, all continued just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago when the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. Remember Noah, judgment is real. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish but for all to come to repentance. Our God is slow to anger. But there is coming a day when the world is reserved for fire. It was wiped out with water in the days of Noah. God sent the rainbow. No more water destruction. But there will be a fire destruction of the world. And do not count God's slowness to anger as slack, as though God is winking at sin. He is not. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, God is patient. And so, to the unbeliever, I would just say, run to Jesus. Don't wait to the backslider. Return to Jesus. And to the believer, rejoice in Jesus. We've been forgiven. We have his grace. I pray that there's a smile on our faces. I pray that there is a smile coming from within us, knowing that we are his, and that we are saved, and that we have this great grace, and we just know I am in the ark. And when the judgment comes that on that day, fire will not destroy me because I am safe in his hand. I am safe from the wrath of God because of my Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done for me. So finally, 
Last thing that we'll talk about, we talked about God puts godly men to influence world leaders. God reveals mysteries to his people. God exalts and he humbles. God judges sin. And then finally, I just want to note that God fulfills prophecy. What we see in the closing verses of chapter 5 is God fulfilling his word. Um, And it's really cool because in this passage, what we have is a short-term fulfillment only hours before. This writing, the inscription on the wall, God has given a prophecy about two hours, three hours, four hours in advance before when it actually happened. That very night, the Medes and the Persians came in and destroyed. But also, this is cool because God had given this prophecy well, well, well in advance, about 150 years prior. If you go back to the book of Isaiah, and there are several that I could give you, but I won't... um, if you want other passages, I can, I'd be happy to give you them because God prophesied this multiple times. This exact same day, the end of the Neo-Babylonian Empire, when the Medes and the Persians would come into it. But look with me at verse, uh, Isaiah 47, starting in verse 8. You'll notice that this is about Babylon if you end up reading in context. But listen to these few verses. Now then, hear this, you sensual one, speaking of Babylon, who dwells securely, who says in your heart, I am and there is no one besides me. Notice the pride and the arrogance. I will sit, I will not sit as a widow nor have loss of children. But these two things will come on you suddenly in one day. Note that in one day, loss of children and widowhood, they will come on you in full measure in spite of your many sorceries, in spite of your great power and your spells. You felt secure in your wickedness and said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge, they have deluded you. For you have said in your heart, I am and there is no one besides me. But evil will come on you which you will not know how to charm away. And disaster will fall on you for which you cannot atone. And destruction about which you do not know will come on you suddenly. And that's a great, amazing fulfillment of prophecy. 150 years prior, God had prophesied that in one day the Neo-Babylonian Empire would be destroyed. And there are other passages where even Cyrus is named. Um, God is very specific. He fulfills his word. When he speaks, it comes to fruition every time. Always, But I pray that you would take note of that in your heart even as well as I'm kind of getting at you a little bit. I don't know what God, I'm not judging anybody, but I'm just saying that let let God speak as he will. Some of this, when I read that, I'm like, God doesn't see. He says, God sees. And the pride and the arrogance of your heart, you kind of feel like God's taking his time. And he doesn't, he notices. Come out of it. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ and don't wait he is great. He is glorious. There is no one like him. And the Bible says, whoever puts their hope in him and calls unto him will never be disappointed. Ask anybody in this room who is a believer if they say, I'm disappointed in my decision to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. You will not hear anybody say that. He brings no disappointment. There are so many things in this world that disappoint, right? But Jesus never disappoints. So don't pursue the things that will disappoint you, the things that are temporary, but pursue the one who will never, ever, ever disappoint because he is faithful. He is faithful. I'm going to read Psalm 146 and then I'll pray. Psalm 146 says this, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord while I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. 
Do not trust in princes, in mortal man, in whom there is no salvation. His spirit departs, he returns to the earth. In that very day his thoughts perish. How blessed is he who helps, whose help is the God of Jacob, whose help is the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects the strangers. He supports the fatherless and the widow. He thwarts the way of the wicked. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you um, for your word. And we thank you so much for the grace that we have found in Jesus. Lord, and I pray that we would not be people who um, that we would not be people who take this for granted. Lord, I pray that we would have a renewal in our hearts constantly, daily, multiple times a day. That we would be refreshed with the the true understanding that these words are true. God, that you are that you exist, um, that you see your people, that you're with us in. The joyous times as babies are being born and we rejoice with you. And the times when people who are unbelievers turn to you and put their faith and their hope and their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. As the word says, and Jesus Christ himself even says that there is more rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents. Oh Lord. You're with us in those times of celebration, but God, you're also with us in the hard times when we lose friends and family members, God. When our, the ground starts shaking underneath us and it feels like the sky is falling on top of us, Lord, that you're there even in those times. So, Father, I pray that you would remind us of your sovereignty, remind us of your grace. Keep us as a people whose hearts are in your hands. Keep us away from sin. Keep us following our Lord Jesus Christ. God, be with our congregation. Bless us. We love you, Father. We praise your holy name. Be with us today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in.